Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? It's good to see you. Um, it's uh, uh, great to um, welcome those of you who are brand new. Uh, we want to say hello. Make sure before you leave, you say hi to some of the people that are sitting around you. We want to say hello to those of you who are joining us online. Um, I've been a pastor for some 30 years, and I've held a number of different positions. And if I wasn't going to be a senior pastor, the greatest time I ever had in ministry, other than being a senior pastor, was when I led a singles ministry. And it was just so much fun, because if you enjoy teaching the Bible and helping people to make it come alive in their lives and, and seeing instantaneous change, singles get it. And um, I tell you what, there was, there was one of the hardest things about leading a singles ministry was that our culture has really stupid advice for people who are single, terrible advice for people who are single. And for someone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus and be single, there is just so much noise out there. And so I would, um, when I led that, I would constantly combat two things. And, I, and I, would, I would say the first piece of bad advice that you're going to get, for those of you who are single, is you're not complete until you've found someone. What's the name of that movie with Tom Cruise and he sees the... Jerry Maguire, right? Lean over to the person next to you and say, you complete me. <laughs> Do that really fast. Be kind of weird if you're sitting next to a stranger. <laughs> Welcome to Christ Church of the Valley. We're glad you're here. You complete me. Um, but there's this idea that, that there's something fundamentally wrong with someone if by a certain age they're not committed to someone lifelong in a relationship. The fact of the matter is, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 said, Now to the unmarried and widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. It's good. In fact, in the first century, the norm was to stay unmarried. Then, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul lists all kinds of advantage, uh, advantages for people who are married. And so, in churches, the norm was, if you became a disciple of Jesus, you were single. And it was because it was rooted in this idea that you don't need a man to complete you. You don't need a woman to complete you. You are enough. You are whole. You are good in God's eyes. When God made you, you were whole, period. And so if you are sitting next to someone you're married, just look at them and say, I don't need you. I don't. This is, Jesus said it. I don't need you, right? But there's this idea, right? So that you're not complete until you've found someone. We just want to blow that idea up. The second one was, was just as bad. It was terrible. It's the, you're looking for the one that the universe specifically designed for you to be with, right? Your whole goal in life is you, for you to find that person. Jerry, where are you, Jerry? <laughs> Sandy, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? We're going to, in this whole sea of people, you're looking for these, this, this one person, and you're waiting for lightning to strike with that one person. Fact of the matter is, there's lots of people you can marry. 
Lots of people that God wants you to marry. Not that he wants you to become a polygamist. That'd be weird. But lots of potential people that you can marry. And we're going to talk about that today. You know, the first couple of weeks, admittedly, with this series, is I geared it more towards um, people who are um, already married. And so for the last week in this series, Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks, I want to gear it specifically to what needs to be in place. What are the four musts that you have to have in place before you say I do? So I'm specifically talking to people who are single. For the for you are you're divorced, you want to get married again, you're widowed. Um, and, and, and a lot of you here aren't married, and you're wondering, what does this have to do with me? Maybe you want to ditch them. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you want to, maybe, I'm just kidding. No, you need to understand the, the unique challenges of what it means to be single looking for someone in 2020. It is radically different from when you were looking for, looking for someone love of your life. So anyway, four must before you say I do. The first one is found in 2 Corinthians 6.14 where the Apostle Paul says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now the Apostle Paul was writing primarily to people who understood farming metaphors and so yoked, we'll get what we mean by that in a second. He says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? You're at a restaurant. You're at a bar. You're sitting there with your friends. You're single. You look across the bar, and you see someone and they're hot, okay? They're hot. I just want you to let, I'm going to let you know, I'm taken, okay? <laughs> but they're hot, right? And you're thinking, oh my goodness, she's gorgeous, or he's unbelievably cute, right? And you get your wingman, right, to go on over there, and you're, you're talking and that sort of thing. The very first thing that you do is you're thinking, am I attracted to that person? And that is the wrong thing to think. Now, there's an, you need to be attracted to someone, but the very first person, or the very first characteristic, the very first thing that has to be in place is, is this person a Christian? Is this person a Christian? The word yoke is an interesting word. A yoke was a large piece of wood that was placed over the shoulder of two oxen, and the yoke is not a punishment. The yoke brings out the best of two people, and what Paul's saying is, is that you want to yoke yourself for life only with someone who gets you, who is aligned with your priorities, who wants you to succeed at the same things. And so there are a number of problems that when you get married to someone who isn't a believer, someone who is not a believer in Jesus and wants to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and the first is different directions. Like if you're yoked together and one wants to go this way, and one wants to go that way, that's a problem. Like, what are your priorities? What are you trying to get out of life? What are you trying to do with your savings? What are you trying to do with your money? What are you trying to do with your time? When you have extra time on your hand, what do you want to do? A disciple of Jesus has very different priorities from someone that's just living for themselves, someone that isn't a disciple of Jesus. The second is kids. This is really difficult when you see a kid come to Christ here at our church and, like, one parent's really excited, and the other one, like, doesn't give a crap. Like, not a believer, and is sort of politely allowing this thing to happen without throwing too much of a stink. 
Where is that a problem? That's sad when that happens, but it's a problem when two years later, in the middle of high school, when that um, young woman is facing some difficulty, what she needs is a mom that will encourage her to stand with her convictions and the choices that she made. She needs a dad who's going to stand up, not someone in our culture where it's just so ridiculous. Why? So, so absolutely ridiculous when in our culture, I'm not going to impose my beliefs on you, please. You impose your beliefs on your kids all the time if they're the right beliefs. Brush your teeth. Wipe your bottom when you go to the toilet, right? Eat the right foods. Hang out with the right people. You impose your, right, your beliefs when they're the right beliefs. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And when you have two people who have two radically different worldviews, the, it's a problem for the kid. But the other thing is, it's not fair to the non-Christian spouse. For those of you who have married a non-Christian, it, they're not a bad person. The reason you married them is because you liked her or you liked him. They're a great person. That's why you married them. They're just not a Christian yet. And what Christianity is is an all-or-nothing religion. When you marry someone that's a disciple of Jesus, they're going to be praying for the rest of of their life for you to become a disciple of Jesus. Like it's never, it may, be, it may not be a topic of conversation today, but it never leaves their mind. And for someone that isn't a Christian, it isn't fair to them to get into a relationship where like, that's the whole point, is to get them converted. It's just not fair to them. They're good, they're, good, they're just not a Christian. So the first, the first must is they must be a believer. And I know what a lot of people here in this culture is. I'm going to convert them after I marry them. I, I need to get someone like three-fourths of the way there, and once I marry them, um, I, 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 I'll take care of it after that. Fact of the matter is, you and I both know that when we get married, we always put our best foot forward, don't we? Right? I, I saw a cartoon one guy, where the guy runs out of a chapel, just got married, yippee, the diet's over, right? And uh, <laughs> the, 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 we just put our best feet forward. And in reality, oftentimes I see this with a really committed Christian woman, is they'll find a guy, he's a nice guy, he's a moral guy, he may even have gone to church as a kid, and she's thinking, I can convert him, I don't want to lose him. And the fact of the matter is, you're not. The odds are you're not. Better for you to wait five years for them to become a Christian than for you to give in on that thing. All right, number two, chemistry, okay? The Bible says you have to feel chemistry towards the person that you want to marry. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, this is he's speaking to Adam, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so I just want to pause there and say, a lot of really weird, terrible churches will take that passage of Scripture and make it say something that it doesn't say. They will teach women that their job is simply in life 
to be subservient to the man and just simply fulfill his wishes. I'm the helper of the man. He's the one who's going to make the decisions. He's the one that's going to be the spiritual leader. He is the one that's going to go and make the money. I'm just here as like a personal assistant to walk behind him with a pad of paper and say, oh dear, is there anything I can do for you? That could not be the, there, there, it is, that is the farthest thing from what the Bible is teaching. The Lord God said to the man, it is not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make an azer for you. Azer is the Hebrew word for helper. Azer occurs 17 times in the Bible, 13 times it refers to God. Psalm 46, 1, right? The whole psalm is about, I am calling out to God who is my helper. And so, in fact, if you want to get into theology, what was created first in creation? Help me out. Come on. You went to Valley Kids. Let's do this. What was created first? Right? The world, the earth, and then the man, and then what was created? The woman, and then God rested. And so if there's anything that is the pinnacle or the primary thing that is of creation, it's the woman. The woman is the pinnacle of creation. I am so happy it's second service. You know why? My wife doesn't attend this service. I'm not going to say this third service. So you're very lucky that I'm sharing this information for you. Anyway, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But that wasn't what God was doing. God didn't want just Adam to bring, give them names. But it says, for Adam, no suitable helper, a no complementary partner was found. And so he was looking at the, eye, the lion, and he's like, ah, yeah. claws, monkeys, like jumping everywhere. It's kind of weird trying to kiss this monkey. And so God says, I know what I'm going to do. And he caused him to fall asleep, took a rib out of his side, and created a co-equal partner in the relationship called um, Eve. Adam meant dirt in Hebrew. And so Eve is this complementary partner that's created. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the first time Adam woke up and looked at her, what do you think he thought? Right. Little, little Barry White music in the background. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I don't know what these are, but they're amazing. That's a nice touch. What? And that's what chemistry is. And chemistry is just feeling this attraction for someone. And um, so Robert Epstein, the editor of Psychology Today, years ago had announced in a column that he wanted to find a marriage partner, but he didn't want to do it based in any way, shape, or form. He didn't want attraction to be any part of it. He just wanted to interview people with resumes. You submit the resumes, and then you meet for the very first time at a counselor, 
And he said, what we're going to do is we're going to go through counseling sessions, and we're going to learn to love one another, and what's going to happen is we are going to prove to the world how silly and weird and dumb their process of finding a mate is. We are going to prove that attraction is not a powerful part in getting married. Now, I, would, I appreciate a more logical and consistent approach to finding love, but the but like getting resumes and meeting at accounts, that's, that's the way you pick out a dog, right? Not someone that you're going to marry. Chemistry is not just physical. It's also being attracted to the person intellectually. It's being attracted to them emotionally. It's being attracted to their partner, to, to, to their personality and, and the unique aspects that they bring to the partnership. It's the differences often that will attract us. And I hear a lot of people say that you should marry your best friend. And that's really good advice as long as your best friend's with someone that you're incredibly attracted to. If not, God says you should just remain friends. And so the third is that you must have character in place. So in any relationship, character has to be brought to the surface because by our very nature as human beings, we withhold information until after our marriage. We all know this, right? In our marriage relationship, there is stuff that we find out about the person that we married afterwards that didn't come out beforehand, right? Turn and look at your marriage partner if you're, mar- if you're sitting next to someone and just say, yeah, right here, big stuff. Big stuff did not come out, right? It's just normal, right? Um, John 3, 19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. How many people have had this happen? Ring. Will you marry me? Hold on, but first... I'm addicted to painkillers. I lose my temper easily. I'm into debt up to my eyeballs. I get really distant when I get angry, and I don't like the cubs. What do you think? That never happens, right? Just think of all the elaborate proposals that are happening today, and then the elaborate weddings. Think of the money that people spend on weddings and dresses and the, and the honeymoons and, the, and that sort of thing, but they never actually get down to the issues that are going to create difficulty. So here's my suggestion for you. The best way to flush out character and find out the real person that you're married is, number one, time. All respected marriage counselors will say that a person should be seriously dating for one year and engaged for one year before you get married. That's two years. Remember one time a couple came to me and they said, we're so excited, Pastor Brian. God has brought us together. We're praying together. We just, this is God. God's hands are all over this relationship. And he's just has brought us together. And I asked, how long have you been dating? And they said, six months. And I said, well, he may have his hands all over it, but I'm not putting my hands all over it. I am not going to be marrying you unless you're willing to wait 18 more months. And they got so ticked 
so ticked. How dare you? You're a terrible person. You're a terrible pastor. I'm like, I usually agree with those things. I'm not a good person. <laughs> terrible pastor. I said, but I'm not marrying you. I'm absolutely not going to do that. Turns around, they end up breaking up over some issues that came out soon after that. And the thing is, waiting is for our best interest. If you care about someone, you're not going to pressure them. If you care about someone, you're not going to create a false sense of urgency. You're going to wait for that person. And by goodness, you're going to stay out of the sack. That's the thing that's actually going to create more problems. Oftentimes, you wonder why there isn't a sense of urgency, and it's the old thing. Why buy the cow when you're getting the milk for free? I know you don't want to be compared to a cow, but I don't, I don't like that analogy, but, but you know what I'm saying? So don't do that. So here's the other thing. Not only is it time, but it's time from... Um, I would say time from traumatic events. It's been my experience and the experience from every marriage counselor I've ever seen that if, you're, if the person you want to marry or you has had a traumatic event, you ought to wait three years. And here's what I mean by that. A traumatic event could be a divorce. A traumatic event could be um, you're an alcoholic, but now you're sober and you've been sober for 65 days and you want to get married this month. No, you don't want to do that. Um, you've come out of divorce, alcohol, um, uh, drugs, whatever it is. It's easy to lose weight. It's hard to keep it off, right? It, someone can get clean for 30 days or 60 days or even 180 days. But those of you who are in recovery, you'll attest to, man, when you get that one year, when you get that one year, that's something. Five years into it, it's something. And, and you want to wait. You want to give yourself time. But the other thing that you want to do is premarital counseling. Any person that's married at our church, it is mandatory that if they're going to get married by a CCV pastor, that they must complete six sessions of premarital counseling. They pay for these sessions, and they have to go to six sessions of premarital counseling, and then they're going to go to a, a marriage. They have to commit to this. You go to a marriage session um, three months after your wedding date, a half year after your wedding date, and then one year after your wedding date. And what I mean by that is we did that because we care about people. It is because afterwards, after you get married, all this kind of stuff is going to come up, and you want to be able to process that. I love going to marriage counseling, to premarital counseling. I loved it. I got all Lisa's problems out on the table. She was all ready to go, right? But we just learned so much about each other, and it's such a good investment. Um, many people think the time to do character exploration is afterwards. It's before. I want to read this by finding the love of your life. Many people think marriage will be a magical cure for their problems, that their old struggles will disappear as soon as they tie the knot. And perhaps for a while, the freshness and exhilaration of their relationship hide the signs of trouble. But inevitably, marriage only intensifies problems. The stress of marriage, the vulnerability of living with someone day in and day out, 
the weight of responsibility, the fear of failure, the realization that marriage isn't a cure-all, all these combine to thrust existing problems to the forefront. So take your time. The last is calling. Once this person meets the Christian test, the chemistry test, and the character test, you have to determine whether or not you feel called to be with that person. I've showed you this picture before. Uh, This is a picture of fifth grade church camp, Round Lake Christian Assembly. Once I thought Lisa was the one. Um, man, man, did I think she was the one. She, so we, I took her home one weekend and uh, met her mom, and uh, we were talking about camp. And she was like, did you go to church camp? I was like, I went to church camp once, Round Lake Christian Assembly. She said, I went there every single summer, sometimes two or three times during the summer. And she pulled out this big photo album and grabbed this photo album. And... Um, on the back of it, I had written, to Lisa, a cute girl, be good, Brian. Like, you're going to grow up and marry a pastor. You better be good. So, um, and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is it. God has brought us together miraculously. This is his call in our lives. Can you bring the picture back up? So I'm going to show you me how studly handsome I was. Can you see me? <laughs> my mom must have gone in and say. The look we're going for is Amish, okay? (laughs) We're going for Amish, right? And um, so then uh, Lisa is right behind me, right there. And um, so uh, what I want to show you is, uh, can can you go to the next picture? We often think, like I said at the beginning of my message, we often think like there's this whole sea of people, and our job is to find that one person. Jacqueline, where are you? I can't hear you, Jimmy. Where are you? Right? And we're, we're trying to find each other in this whole sea of people. But as that picture shows, right, what really is happening is this. Show this picture right here. There's, there could be 10, 15 people. 10 to 15 people. Lean to the person next to you that you're married to and say, why did I choose you? Like 50, but what I want you to look at this is that I want you to think there are how many people, how many, so let's say you're a gal, right? How many guys do you know that's a, that are Christians? Okay, well, there, there you go, it limits it down. And then they have character, and then you have chemistry. Like they're cute and that sort of thing, and you feel attractive and that sort of thing. You could probably create a small list, which explains in part why some people will get into affairs. But there's that added piece where you say, is God bringing us together? Are we a fit? Do we both feel a mutual sense of calling on our lives? Uh, what does the, the woman want to do in this relationship? And what does, what does the guy want to do? And how do these fit together? It's not the guy wants to do this, and then she's going to follow him and constantly quit her job and and do, it's mutual, together, equal, co-equals in the relationship. How does this fit together, and how does this work? Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And the plans are, for those of you that want to get married, to find a person that's a Christian, 
someone you have character with, that has character, that you have chemistry with, and you feel called to marry. If you have that, then you've found the love of your life. But there are lots of people that could fit into that. Don't allow our culture to, to, don't allow our culture to lie to you. Let's pray. God, I just pray that in this church, uh, people who are single would feel whole and complete and valued, and that just like in the first century, they would feel even a sense of preeminence that, that you have blessed them with their singleness, that their singleness is a blessing. Help them to see that. And whether you call them to change the state of their relationship is a different story. But God, help them to see how blessed they are in their singleness. And God, we just pray that this would be a place where relationships would be centered on the truth of your word and not our culture and one on grace and mercy and forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.